All right, ladies and gents, I've got a wonderful new product that I want to tell you guys all about. It is Equine Edge, and we're going to have a special promotion with it all summer, only for the In The Money Media listeners. If you are brand new to Equine Edge, you get the service absolutely free for an entire month. Simply use promo code FREEMONEY in all caps on the account sign-up page or go directly to equineedge.com forward slash free money. With Delmar and Saratoga coming up now, it's the perfect time to sign up for your free account and get familiar with the platform. And all month long, Scotty McKeever will be guesting with PTF on the late week flagship shows, handicapping races from around the country, using Equine Edge and answering your questions about the product. To learn more, check out equineedge.com forward slash free money. Welcome to episode 102 of Redboard Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganbiel, and I'm so happy to have my special guest of Churchill Downs' very own Ed DeRosa come on and talk with me about four races from this past Stephen Foster Day. Those races were race one, three, four, and ten. And some angles that we talked about are the hot trainer and hot jock angles that Ed found throughout the meet, how a horse in the grade two wise Dan, how being in form just helped that horse become a key pick in Ed's selections. And I ask Ed the question of how many races till we think a claim just didn't work out for the connections. This is a red board rewind. And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest for this week's Redboard Rewind. It is Churchill Downs' very own Ed DeRosa. Ed, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you back. You're, you're starting to creep into that PTF and Marshall Sterling range where I think I've had you on almost five times, and I think <laughs> six or seven is the record, so I'm glad to keep having you come back. All right. Call me the uh, the Steve Martin of Redboard Rewind. <laughs> That's a very good, very good point. Uh, obviously, closing weekend kind of bittersweet for Churchill Downs obviously like we were talking off air derby such a big important part of the year uh went out with a bang uh for me specifically not a race we're going to talk about today but I just want to kind of get your thoughts uh, a lot of people on social media seem to think Maxfield is the next you know leader in the clubhouse going into the classic and I think a lot of people are just completely crazy with that judgment uh, well I mean I think the classic you know he'll have to ship to California again the mile and a quarter uh, neither question he answered with a win uh, the only time he's done it. I will say, uh, you know, that the numbers I look at, that big cap was a career best. So, mm. you know, he didn't get the win, but I think it's worth noting that he actually did improve, uh, at least in my mind, based on the numbers I look at. Certainly, I don't think was a regression on anything. So, you know, Brendan, I think we have a lot of uh, respect for, but... You know, at this point, after that race, uh, you know, if you were looking at markets for the classic, uh, Maxfield likely to be an underlay, admittedly, but uh, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say he's, you know, absolutely in the, the horse of the year conversation at this point, even uh, without a grade one win. Uh, well, listen, I mean, this, we already know with the Stephen Foster, I think it should be a grade one. I mean, it's kind of hard <laughs> with the way they have all the 
all the judiciary stuff with, you know, oh, this is now a grade three. This is now unrated. And I just, I feel like almost to the point where each major place should have a solid grade one for the older types. And I know I've talked a lot, you know, with the two-year-old racing, how I feel that how they have these grade ones when horses are coming off maiden wins is just obnoxiously crazy. But I think that each, you know, we talk, you know, Belmont, obviously, Saratoga has their grade ones. Why can't Churchill have a nice grade one for the older types? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think, uh, you know, in my mind, the graded system is modeled after the European pattern system. And, you know, not that we need to copy them verbatim or that you can't adapt and change as, as the breed and the game does. But my thought is, you know, Churchill has a pattern and it's easily a major circuit. Uh, it just, to me, makes total sense that when you get to the end of June for the Midwest horses, this is a grade one. These are the races the older males are pointing to. And, you know, I kind of similarly, and I get it, like the Whitney's a grade one, but mm-hmm. at the same time, it's, you know, why does Saratoga get two uh, when, you know, they have an end of the meet championship race, so to speak, which this year is going to be the Jockey Club Gold Cup, which mm-hmm. I think was the right move by them. Uh, so, you know, I, I think if Saratoga can have two, Churchill can certainly have one. And just to get back on, on the Maxfield train as well, I just, I feel like, and this year, is it a grade two? Probably. And I think that the, the reason for people jumping on Maxfield obviously paid the short price. I mean, how many times can this horse beat up on chess chief before like people are like, I think he's going to probably beat this field guys. And it's either you skip the race or you single. Right. Yeah, no, that that was definitely my approach. And, you know, like my colleague Scott Shapiro had uh, a thought on Sprawl, who, yeah, if there was something to like, you're going to get your price because these favorites really do get overbet. But I always uh, definitely try to caution other players and keep it in mind myself of, you mm-hmm. know, sort of the square peg round hole thing where, oh, this horse is one to five, so I need to, to find another horse. And, I think anytime there's a one to five, you should look at the race and then use your judgment, but it's okay to come up with, you know, this isn't playable because of the way the board is. Uh, there's, there's not enough of that for sure. Myself included, unfortunately. One thing I love that you always do is you always talk about your wagering. You always put it out there for people to see how you have done. How did the uh, Churchill meet treat you this year? Uh, Churchill meet was, uh, pretty poor (laughs) overall. Unfortunately, uh, Top picks were really dreadful, um, so that you know isn't good from a what kind of information am I mm-hmm. uh, giving people? Uh, Oaks Day was fantastic. Uh, that was actually one of the best days uh, I've had at the track. Period. So it, you know it's good to show up on the big day. And then closing day was uh, very good, not fantastic, but solid. Uh, unfortunately Oak stays at the beginning of the meet closing days, obviously at the end. So, uh, that was a long time between drinks, but, uh, you know, the racing's getting better. And as a, as a player, this is an opportunity to look back and learn from mistakes and see where, you know, maybe I, I discounted things that I, I shouldn't have. One thing I found extremely interesting, and I posted this on, on Monday on Twitter, at EJXD2, looking at the the trainers and jockeys with a positive ROI, mm-hmm. uh, 
uh, on the jockey front, John Court had a big meet, booted home several long shots. He was the leader. But four New York guys had positive ROIs, Johnny V, Louis Saez, and both Ortiz brothers. And that was with a significant sample size. Uh, so the thought that, you know, these New York riders are not not getting bet uh, efficiently was an eye opener in, in my mind. And we'll see how we can maybe make use of that going forward. And then on the trainer side, Tom Amos, Brad Cox, Tommy Drury, Norm Cassie, four very big names, Cox and Amos especially. But, mm-hmm. you know, Tommy's no stranger to Kentucky betters. Norm certainly has a lot of buzz in his young career. And then Amos and Cox need no introduction. All four had positive ROIs at the meet, That's which bonkers. is just incredible to me <laughs> that Brad Cox, you could have bet blindly in every race and you would have come out ahead. Uh, and as a better, you know, when, when I don't come out ahead and I see something like that, that's a fail on my part because when there's such a, and I'm not suggesting, okay, in September, Beck Cox blind paramutual wagering doesn't work that way, but it is essential. I think to go back and look sort of retrofit those angles, because I'm sure there were times I thought, Oh, I can't use this Cox. He's always over bad, or I'm going to try to beat him. Or, you know, maybe I didn't single, when that was the right play given the race and uh, you know, based on those ROIs, that's definitely something to, to maybe think about that, you know, maybe you can lead on an Amos in an obvious situation or a Brad, whereas other people typically don't, but at Churchill this past meet, uh, it, it wasn't terrible. For the trainer side, wasn't also, I think Chris Hartman was the top one with like just a bunch of long shots that came in. Yeah, he and uh, he and Bet Mitch get rich. Definitely got some people rich, and and there was an ebb and flow to that. I mean, by the end of the meet, Chris had certainly cooled down, and I think that's something to to keep in mind with with the Churchill meet, and you know, good to revisit in April when we're ramping up again, because uh, you know Churchill's definitely the September meet is its own entity for sure. The November meet, uh, you know, you're just talking about different horses coming from different places and different spaces of their form cycle. Uh, but, you know, for this, this meet, you know, Al Stahl was red hot the first two weeks. Then Hartman had his big run, you know, mid-May to early June. And there's definitely sort of an ebb and flow uh, to these, not the, the powerhouse barns, just, you know, they're constantly in, in a cycle, uh, you know, from circuit to circuit. But, you know, Hartman has X horses and they run at Oaklawn and then they, they come at Churchill and, you know, they're, seem to be on some sort of uh, form cycle where the types of races that are written at Oaklawn get written at Churchill for, you know, four or five, six weeks later. Uh, so that's definitely something to keep in mind, you know, is who wins at what part of the meet um, and not necessarily like high win percentage, but, you know, who do you know can pop at a price? Harmon popped at several prices, but, you know, you, you really can't leave them out once you get out of Derby week. Well, and I also feel, and this is just for me, uh, me and my friend were talking about Christophe Clement and how he seems so cold lately at Belmont. And I mean, if he's going to get off to that red hot start like he did last Saratoga, I mean, this could be why. And a lot of times people just, you know, we see these 18 to 25% trainers all of a sudden go ice cold and we're like, hmm, why is this? And then two weeks later, all of a sudden they've got six winners and eight or, you know, five and 15. And then it's like, okay, they're back on the wagon. And I, I think it is like certain certain trainers like to aim for specific spots. And also uh, me and him noticed that Joel had been pretty cold in that 
time period too because he's mostly writing for Clement. And I feel that if you can kind of put two and two together sometimes, you can really find some vulnerable horses that maybe, you know, they're prepping in this race to ride in a bigger race at Saratoga. Uh, 100%. Uh, and especially looking at, I saw a question on social media Sunday when Ellis Park opened, you know, what, what do we read into these trainers starting a horse for 50,000 at Ellis when the Churchill meet just ended? Um, you know, if, if you trust the trainers, you know, they know where they're going to fit. They know mm-hmm. what else is on the backside. It doesn't mean they're a bad horse. It, it means they, you know, think they fit. Uh, the other part of that, of course, is maybe they just weren't ready or didn't get in. Like looking at the scratch board with two-year-olds is key. Uh, because if you see a horse who, you know, was an also eligible for a hundred thousand dollar maiden race, didn't get in and shows up at Ellis, I, I would see that as a, a vote of confidence if the trainer thought he was he or she was capable of deeper waters. Uh and then, you know, to me Saratoga is sort of the, the same idea. Uh, you know, if they scratched out of a race at Churchill but then don't show up again to church till Saratoga, that to me could mean, you know, they really wanted to run for the big money. So uh knowing those trainer patterns and you know even the the workouts uh it's 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 helpful beyond just the meet you're playing something in one of the handicapping books i read for uh hot trainers they say any any of the big time guys can go you know four for ten five for ten the horses aren't are barely even paying over twenty dollars you know combined for those four or five winners he said the goal of a hot trainer is if they can win twice a week with a five to one shot or higher and uh, for me i kind of even developed something even more to that where I said, well, maybe if a jockey or a trainer can hit four times, hit the board with a horse at 10 to one or higher. And I kind of make little, it, it takes me five minutes a night. Just go through the result charts of that day real quick, mark anything I see. And then I can kind of build a small repertoire. And by the end of a month of, you know, Belmont or any meet I'm really following, I can find, you know, that 6% rider or 8% rider that maybe can't get them home over the wire first, but can find those juicy 20 to one, 25 to one shots that can run second and third. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, I think, I think knowing what the expectations of each barn are, um, you know, someone like Steve Asmussen, uh, who, you know, certainly like any barn likes winning green ones and stakes Mm -hmm. and things like that trains a lot for stone street and the, the, the Colt Alejandro to me comes in mind because, you know, this Colt's run a bit already still a maiden, uh, but it's really important for Stone Street uh, for that dam to have a winner. And then obviously on the stakes company, et cetera. And, you know, that that's a focus for Steve with this horse. Um, that, that goes a long way. Whereas, you know, someone like Hartman uh, who works the condition book and, you know, I don't want to say there are times he's not trying to win because that's never the case. But for certain trainers with horses at a certain level, a uh, second means you can run again at that level where the horse might be far more competitive than if they have to go up to N1X or, you know, face winners. And, you know, knowing that, hey, look, they might be able to get three or four races out of this horse at the meet, um, you know, to me factors more into okay this horse is going to run its race it might not win but could be a vertical key at the right price whereas you know sort of the the blue blood mentality is definitely to to get the win 
Can't agree more there. Let's jump into our first of four races. We're going to start off with race number one from Saturday at Churchill Downs. It is a maiden special weight, six and a half on the dirt. One wonderful $100,000 purse. What did you like in here, Ed? Uh, you know, when I, my first pass through the race is I had, I think four A horses and, uh, this is going to sound like a, a shameless plug, but, um, I usually don't like to look at the Ragazin data, uh, until the day of, cause I can eliminate the scratch horses and just mm-hmm. not dive into the, the horses. I don't need to, uh, and Robo man had caught my eye a little bit and then he ended up being such a standout uh on the ragas and sheets that i actually went from having four horses in the a column to singling robo man and actually betting him to win and you know this the tough game there's a lot of variables um patience is key and unfortunately i don't have a lot of it uh, and i i think i played too many races uh but th- this was one of those situations where you didn't really need to look too deeply if you trust the numbers because robo man was clearly fastest and he ended up getting four to one i can't agree with you more there just james quinn one of the number one things i look at is maiden races with with his books and they say if a horse first time out runs second i think it's three x they're more likely to win than what their numbers suggest this one had run a 75 mm-hmm. and everyone for you know oh he didn't run to the buyer par of an 82 there's supposed to be improvement second time out. And for what the morning line favorite was in race arena running a 79 last time out. And everyone thinks, Oh, he's, you know, two or three lengths behind this horse. This horse has raced three times. Second off a layoff. There's always a chance for improvement and he improved second time last time as well. But just the fact that there was just, this one was going to be stalking and in a good position. The outside post doesn't hurt as much as I thought it would. And when I see the cat man having a positive ROI and 20%, compared to the 15 he is normally, this is a spot where he excels in his second-time starters. And knowing that you have all these extra variables that usually don't go your own way, that are coming in your own way, I also couldn't believe who the favorite was by the end of this. I think Flint Ridge uh, for for Bacheza and Joe Sharp. I just The bullet workouts are there, but four workouts, I think it's just too few for a three-year-old. Yes, and I think there were... I had heard... Some buzz, I guess, and Joe was dressed in a, shoot, a suit. You know, <laughs> people were mentioning that at Churchill, and I, I'm not. Believe me, I'm not beyond taking a look at that when you sort of know the, the horsemen, and you know, sometimes you just get a vibe that they're well meant. The owners there, they invited people out, etc. But uh, yeah, I, I was surprised to see that one so low. Um, the dam has six starters; just three of them have won. Um, so that's usually an indicator to me, like, you know, not, not that this one can't win in the future, but you know, maybe they're, they're not early. Um, mm-hmm. so f- yeah, for this one to take that kind of money and, and maybe people too, are just looking for an alternative. I mean, Attica was five to one, uh, an 0 for 11 maiden. Um, you know, there, there definitely was some question marks about around those who ended up taking money, but, uh, I was happy I, I looked at the sheets because that, you know, ended up, A, helping me cash a win bet, and B, really refocused my pick five, which I still mm-hmm. missed. But yeah. nevertheless, uh, you know, anytime you can, can refocus and single in on a $10 horse is better in the long run than not. Do you feel like that this race was kind of just uh, public error and just 
it was almost like the race was too wide open, so they just kind of jumped on the wrong horse. They were kind of looking like it said for the alternative. Although usually in this type of race, from what I at least from betting New York, as soon as horses are around that buyer par, a lot of them just a lot of the first time starters just get way, way uh, under bet, and they're usually like fifteen twenty to one because everyone wants to find these horses with experience. Right. Yeah, I think uh, you know in this case, and I'm going off the the Brisnet stuff. I would say just on paper, I was surprised to see Flint Ridge take that kind of money. I mean, Partners Hope gotten an 88 birth net uh, and, and had the second best Ragazin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Attica, I guess by you know this point at 0 for 11, we kind of know who he is, but he was a four-year-old against some three-year-olds. So I know people like that angle, even though having to give weight. And D-Wayne had a, a decent meet. So, uh yeah, I, I would say this this was a spot I was just kind of surprised that the, the firster ended up being gravitated towards just because, you know, on, on Brisnet anyway, en- enough horses had run close enough to par that it seemed like it'd be, you know, more evenly bet. It's another consensus pick, which had been red hot for Redboard Rewind. Let's see if Robo Man from the outside can get it done here in this maiden special weight right now. And they're off. Awkward start for Riston Gold. Good beginning for Absolute Chaos. And Cool Quest is there, too. And these two speed off together, opening up on Race Sereno, who's back into third. Roboman comes away fourth. Flint Ridge is now fifth. Sully's Bro sixth. Partners Hope is on the move from seventh. Atoka broke well, but is back into eighth and reserved in behind horses. A break of five back to Longshot Istan Gold. Backstretch run. Cool Quest comes on through to take the lead. But Absolute Chaos is keeping pace. And these two onto the far turn, going head-to-head through an open Opening quarter in a swift 22 and one-fifth seconds. It's Cool Quest with a short lead. Absolute Chaos is right there. Race Sereno revving up with a three-wide sweep. Roboman is right there, too, coming on in between horses. Here comes Roboman on through to the front. So it's Roboman, now the leader at the quarter pole. Absolute Chaos tries to move with that one. Cool Quest gives way. Race Sereno's there. Flint Ridge partners open behind. Angles outside. Now has to switch back inside. They're off the turn. They're in the stretch. And it's Roboman with a two-and-a-half length lead and one for long to go. Now it's three. Absolute chaos. Race Sereno. Cool quest. A toka late in the scene, but too late to catch Roboman. Roboman rolling down the stretch, clear by eight lengths to the wire. Roboman, the clear-cut winner. And number 10, Roboman does get it done. 10-20 is the winning mutual. 93 buyer. Nice improvement and kind of like what we said, that James Quinn book must be right. I usually get eight to ten points of improvement is usually what I look for, and this one exceeded even that. Again, you know, a maiden, lifetime maiden, Atoka, running so many times, runs second. And I think that this horse was kind of an absolute use underneath if you're trying to find a horse that you can set up in exactas. And a lot of people just throw these horses out. But the, the figures were there and just ended up beating out absolute chaos for uh, for second. Yeah, that was, uh, I mean, it ended up for me with four to one on the board. I, I just leaned on Robo Man in, in the win spot. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, certainly with the, the money on that debut runner um, who just kind of didn't have the pedigree in my mind, there there was some opportunity. I think if you didn't feel as strongly uh, as I did or, you know, maybe like some other horse uh, at a price and, and got beat. But still, there, there were some options there for sure um, vertically if, if you had sort of a secondary opinion. But the, the more I looked, the more I just kind of was willing to live or die with Robo Man. This is going to be a tough race, I think, post to try to realize how strong it was. Robo Man runs such a big number. But then in second, you have the Lifetime Maiden. 
and these horses were running 76s and 75s was what the top four kind of ran out to be, which is uh, a little bit still below the buyer par. I, I wonder if maybe Roboman just ends up being the best of the bunch and just, you know, everyone else is going to be end up like a Toka where they just become the lifetime maiden. I think Flint Ridge, I'm maybe the drop down to like a, the highest level of the maiden claiming could probably get it done. 66 first time out. Maybe just one that likes to work really well in the morning and not so much in the afternoon. <laughs> uh, that's possible. Uh, I, I would say, given that pedigree note I had on the the dam and her production, uh, that it, it's worth uh, you know not reading too much into the debut. And, and I look forward to seeing the pace ratings to see if uh, he did any running whatsoever. But uh, if so, um, you know m- maybe one of those that you just look to to play down the road. Let's move on to race number three from Churchill Downs. It is a open claimer for 50,000. Six furlongs on the dirt. What do we like in here, Ed? I thought uh, this race was pretty wide open, and there was another favorite uh, I was against in here and, and ended up going with uh, four A's on the, the grid, so to speak, and was willing to, to live or die uh, with them in the uh, in the multi-race wager. And uh, I used uh, Mount Travers on top, and that was sort of going into the day. It was my top pick, um, Prime Power-like, which is, uh, you know, one of Brisnet's figures. And I thought it was interesting. Bill Mott shipped this one in uh, after being trained by Linda Rice, and he had another course who did that on friday um at churchill and and didn't go well i picked that horse too um but you know just kind of felt like they shipped the, this these to churchill worked here wasn't just to get a race uh looked like there would probably be um enough pace in here for mount travers so it's six to one i was pretty intrigued uh, unfortunately I, I think was two to one going in the gate so you know, definitely did not like that price uh, to put my top pick into action. But rocking the boat, um, you know, was three to one. So another one bet down from the morning line. Uh, and I did have Lamartine uh, among my A's and uh, really uh, probably should have bet that one to win. Was twice the morning line price and Juan Cano mm-hmm. um, is definitely generated uh you know, some buzz and, and Jenny Reese had just written about how live he was for the Ellis meet. And I was thinking about that when I looked at this horse and, you know, knowing he had a string at Ellis, knowing he was going to be really active there. Um, and he decided to run this one back at Churchill off the claim and just couldn't quite get there. Um, you know, for a, a top pick, um, but, you know, certainly kind of had the look of, Hey, if I can upset this race, maybe he's the one to do it. Uh, but I did put Mount Travers on top. Uh, and then at two to one was kind of wishing I had went in a different direction. It's so hard. And for me, I think this is kind of my crux when it comes to the claiming game. I'm much better with those little N2L and 3L conditioners, which a lot of handicappers don't like. And these open fifties where it just seems like some are dropping down two levels, some are dropping up two levels, et cetera. It's just kind of hard to figure out where exactly everyone is. Nifty was the morning line favorite for Jason Barkley. I just, I like the trainer change. Like we just talked with Chris, about the Chris Hartman stuff. He had been so good, got the win there with, with uh, Mitchell Murrow. And I just felt it was a good claim. It was a solid claim and they're jumping him up in class. Super excited to see that Florent Drew and rocking the boat. I mean, Diodoro off the claim. It wasn't so much that for me. It was more the fact that Dale decided to 
reclaim the horse like multiple times. And I just, Diodoro <laughs> obviously saw something. And for what a lot of people know, Dale doesn't look at buyer figures or anything. He doesn't care about it. He just runs his horses to his percentage. And a lot of times for me, I'm fading Dale. And I just, I thought this was kind of the, the reason that the horse was extra live for me. Obviously three for three in the money at the distance as well. Wasn't too bad. Everything, I mean, Donald's Creek, Joe Rocco, Michael Tomlinson had off the drop and off the uh, surface switch just improved a little bit at 40. Now they jump him up to 50. And I was just kind of all over the all over the board here. I mean, I was going to have to go four or five deep if I was playing any uh, horizontal wagers. And I just, I ended up passing the race. I didn't want to take Rock in the Boat at three to one. I want a little bit higher. I want at least a $10 horse in this spot, I feel like, for me. So I ended up passing the race. You ended up going with Mount Travers. Let's see who can get this 50,000 claimer right now. Good to beginning for Rocking the Boat. Hold Me Black was pinched back soon after the start, shuffled off near to the back of the pack, so down the back stretch they go, and it's Rocking the Boat, and Senior Joe Beam comes up on through, and Lamartine toward the inside is firing up two. Three across the track in the early stages, Lamartine and Senior Joe Beam to go head-to-head. Rocking the Boat comes on to grab third, impressed is racing fourth, charge the line toward the inside, fifth, Hold Me Black, up into sixth, Mount Travers is seventh, Madison's Luna is an up-close eighth. It's a very tight pack on the front end, a break of three back to Butter Noodles, and five back to the trailing Nifty. Far turn run. Lamartine the leader. The leader by half a length with three furlongs to go. Senior Jobim is right alongside in second as they round the far turn. And rocking the boat is three wide while third. Impressed is right in behind in fourth with charge the line. Hold Me Black is wide on the far turn. Madison's Luna and Mount Travers. Butter Noodles angles toward the inside. Top of the stretch for Lamartine. Still the one to catch in front of length and a half. Rocking the boat, runs up into second. Senior Jobim is third, impressed is fourth. Madison's Luna's late on the scene from fifth. There's one for long to go. Lamartine is still there. Rocking the boat's desperately trying to get by. Senior Jobim and Madison's Luna, but they still have to catch Lamartine, and they won't do it. Lamartine, gate to wire by two in the end. Rocking the boat was second. Madison's Luna was third, and Senior Jobim was fourth. And the number four, Lamartine gets it done. 64, 80, 86 buyer. It's always these that I feel like are in our nightmares, isn't that? <laughs> uh, this one's going to haunt a while, and, and I think is you know part of the, the salve that Redboard Rewind can provide. Um, learn from our mistakes. Um, you know, I, I mentioned I use Lamartine as an A. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I was so against Goodnight in race two uh, that I mm-hmm. was out of everything. And that's just where you, you got to put in the time um, to to see what your opinions are, and you know, even single Lamartine on a ticket, you know, is a fifteen to one A that covers a horse like Goodnight because it's not like I didn't think Goodnight could never win that race. I just thought it even money, which he ended up being, he was worth the play against. But you know, I, I could have played a backup using favorites I didn't like at the price with uh, a separator horse in the pick five and no doubt in my mind based on what the pick five ended up paying Lamartine was probably 50 or 60 to one Mm -hmm. in the pick five so um, especially having single robo man earlier so this was definitely a a big miss um, for me just uh, you know not structuring properly and and covering a, a very likely scenario um, with the unlikely scenario of the long shot winning. So 
right pew, wrong church, or however that saying goes, uh, was definitely uh, an unfortunate, uh, you know, kind of miscalculation in structuring my, my pick five tickets. Uh, and, you know, I really, um, you know, I, and I do a lot with, you know, you mentioned looking at my ROI and how I do in the grid. One thing I've started tracking this year um, is if I, you know, how do I do if I just play the longest price on the grid? Um, you know, if I have six horses, win betting the, the largest one and I haven't actually done it cause I want to, you know, test it out and mm-hmm. just see. Sure. Um, but by far betting the longest price on my grid outperforms betting my top pick and it even outperforms betting a lone a. And now part of that is, you know, Max Field's a top pick and he's mm-hmm. one to five. Yes. Um, you know, so, it, you know, if, if you do it flatly, you get those type of horses in there. Um, but my ROI about half of the year, just taking the longest price on the grid is negative 4%, which, you know, it's, it's pretty great considering mm-hmm. takeout and a flat bet type of thing over hundreds of races. Um, and to me, I don't say that as a brag because I haven't actually done it. You know, I'd probably be bragging about it if I had that kind of ROI over a bunch of win bets, but I mention it because that to me shows how important it is. If you're going to play seriously you got to put yourself in a position to play as they're going in the gate. It's just the only way you can take advantage of inefficiencies in the market. And for a variety of reasons, there are times you can't do that. You want action. You're having fun at the track. You're drinking beers with friends. Mm -hmm. That's all important too. But, you know, if if you're really serious and and going into a card thinking, man, I can make money on this card. You got to be, you got to be able to get a bet in as they're going to the gate. I can't tell you in the last two months, and I, I check my ROI, you know, maybe once or twice a month, maybe sometimes three. I, I've made more money in the last two months double uh, wind dutching. Just my, my my goal was three to one or higher for both horses that way. It kind of keeps it proper on where I am. You know, I'm not going to play, obviously, two to one shots because it's not going not gonna to only make $2. And I, I've just made the right decisions. I had um, the horse that beat uh, – I can't even think of the horse off the top of my head, but but just the fact that double Dutch win betting, everyone says, "Oh, it's you're losing so much ROI," but I'm cashing more at the window, which in turn keeps my mental health, you know, somewhat savvy as I'm not, you know, throwing away 15 tickets in a row, and that matters a lot to me when it comes to the game. It's hard for me when I was playing poker to fold a lot of hands. If I was card dead for two hours, I have to get off the table just for an hour and like just go do something else real quick, just to kind of get out of that, you know, monotonous bored feeling. And just going into this race, I had liked three or four horses. I obviously could have done the, the 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 same win bet type, and I just didn't like anybody enough that I felt like it was comfortable at three to one rocking the boat. I wasn't really comfortable with that at three to one. the The problem with I thought with Mount Travers was just why did Linda have this horse at Parks, and I don't even know what the strength of the race is for those N two thirty five Xs compared to a fifty claimer here. I would probably think that they were jumping in class at that point. Yeah, not, that's a good point, and I find that parks uh, can sometimes have some inflated performances. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that's that's an issue to consider. Uh, I definitely had stars in my eyes with the six to one and top prime power, mm-hmm. and you know Johnny V up for Mott. Like all the, the the tangibles were were sort of there to take a shot at that price. Um, but then you know you're going to the gate at two to one, and, and you hate the <laughs> yeah. horse. Uh, you know, I mean it. I'm not 
I'm not a huge like hard line like oh how could you bet that horse at three to one I wanted at least seven to two mm-hmm. like no, you know if you yeah. like a horse three to one shouldn't be a deal breaker versus seven to two um, unless you're just you know straight betting a model you really trust but you know six to one is is definitely a nice price compared to two um, so again that just kind of that speaks to Lamartine in reverse that as much as you have to be ready to to pull the trigger on a horse you can't believe is you know, 30 to one or 20 to one or whatever. Um, you also have to be willing to put the, the gun back in the holster if you're not getting the price. I will say this too, just for Lamartine in general, it did have some okay back races that kind of fit a couple, a couple were in the mud, one was on the turf. So obviously that's kind of difficult. But when you see the course go from 25 to 32 and then to 50, and we're not talking about a 2% transit guys, 11%, he's 16% at the meet. Uh, that should mean something, for, especially at 31 to 1. I've seen a lot worse 31 to 1 shots than a, a guy that's claiming a horse and jumping the horse up in a race that had a lot of question marks. I mean, yeah, the, the price is uh, it, it's so rarely discussed. Uh, it just kind of blows me away. And, and you know, personally, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm not a fan of dutching, but I will say, um, I, I do think the exercise, if, if it's for you and, you know, that kind of just fits the style of play that makes you comfortable is in my mind, positive from the standpoint that it, it makes you extremely price sensitive because you would, you know, just as an extreme example, you would never dutch with a horse who's four to five, mm-hmm, exactly. um, because you're, you know, obviously can't even come out ahead. Um, you know, and we all have, you know, prices in our mind we're willing to take in, in those situations, but just, you know, at the extreme, you know, you, in order to Dutch properly, if, you know, you think there is a proper way to do it, you have to be hyper price sensitive. Um, and not only that, but you have to also be aware of, you know, where could the price end up? You're looking at the double will pays, et cetera. Um, and it's just, you know, so often, you know, whether it's reading analysis, watching it, live from other tracks it's you know here's my pick and and that's that and you know one thing i definitely try to bring to the air at churchill you know when talking about top picks is just you know being very straightforward like yeah i picked this horse thinking we'd get x price and we're getting y and i'm shopping couldn't agree more let's move on to race number four it's an optional 62 and 2x going one on one eighth miles on the dirt we're slowly moving up the class ladder from a maiden to a claimer now in the allowance level. How do you kind of see this race, Ed? Uh, I thought uh, this was, um, was it, yeah, the mile and eighth race. I thought that was a, a key component mm-hmm. uh, to this race. Um, you know, some of these just kind of old warriors, veterans, uh, just, you know, kind of not sure about the distance, uh, et cetera. And uh, not a lot of, main track opportunity at, at this distance you get a lot of the turf at churchill going nine furlongs um so you know just kind of thinking of what horses fit and you know could could kind of want this trip against this group uh i landed on uh trident hit uh ron moquette um it seemed like we'd get the right trip i definitely had no concern with the distance even though he'd only done it once uh, but being by tis now out of a Machiavellian mare, I mean, this, you know, that's kind of a run all day pedigree as the cliche goes. Um, so it, it wasn't, I don't want to say it's the default pick, but when you took, when I took my first pass through the race, 
and I saw the morning line was, you know, a turf horse um, <laughs> Looking your chops. By, by American Pharaoh, who, you know, clearly I think at this point is leaning toward being a turf sire, um, you know, and out of a giant's causeway mare, like clearly, you know, came over across the pond and, you know, if Brendan had maybe started this horse on dirt in his first start in North America, I'd say, okay, that's why he's here. Um, but no, they, they tried turf and I mean, he ran fine. Don't get me wrong, but you know, any, any time we're kind of looking at a horse like that, it's a morning line favorite. I kind of think there's going to be opportunity, uh, great escape, had some buzz. Um, one thing I pointed out in the, the pre-race prattle that I, I thought was, you know, kind of sharp, if I do say so myself was, you know, as good as Correa's has been with these imports and mm-hmm. Joe Christopher kind of, you know, named him off led by blue prize, most recently the, the champ, but he's had all these good horses ship in and, you know, he develops them and they run well. He's actually winless uh, in his last five years in the first start in the U S uh, and I thought that was really telling. Like he's had horses like blue prize and I, I forget a couple of the others, but graded stakes winners, and none of them were able to win for him first in the U.S. Uh, so I'm thinking next time's the time for great escape. And, you know, hopefully we'll get a price with sort of the, the form darkened off, off this one. But I thought that was an opportunity here where, you know, I definitely know some people liked him. He had been working well. He got a bullet at Keeneland, getting mm-hmm. Lasix. Uh, but, you know, Nacho just doesn't win first in the U.S. Uh, 0 for 15 now. So, there were kind of two opportunities of horses I knew were going to take money. And uh, admittedly, I like Trident Hit and Bourbon War equally. Like two, three were, were my A's. And I did think Trident Hit would be the longer price, um, you know, with Moquette. Uh, just doesn't kind of take the kind of money Wilkes does, even though both are, are known locally. But I just figured Bourbon War would take a little bit more money. So I went with Trident Hit on top. I think too, and I was also a fan of tried and hit. You just kind of cross out that last race being in the slop, and the ninety-two and eighty-eight fit really well in this race. I'll just the favorites. I mean, when you see a horse like a turf horse come in as the morning line favorite, and then obviously not take the money. It's like okay, that horse is pretty much dead in the water. Bourbon War for me, it's hard because Ian Wilkes, the the horse ran so good off that long layoff, and I don't think Ian is too good off that type of layoff. If I remember correctly. I, I I'm not gonna say bounce because obviously the horse had a big, a bunch of nice works in there. I just didn't know if I wanted a horse at that short a price that, even off that big race, seemed almost even with everyone else. It wasn't like that race was a 95 and everyone else was running the mid 80, and this horse had had enough chance that it could bounce and still win the race. I felt like that race kind of put this one on even terms with a bunch, including Trident Hit. I thought. Just overall, I was all about trying to hit in this race. Also, Beaver Hat. I, I have a infatuation with Beaver Hat ever since Benny South Street kind of gave him out on a, on a daily gallop at like 17 to 1 on a live stream that we were doing. And this horse is now steadily, you know, done pretty well for himself, uh, winning an allowance back in January. And I just thought the 86, 85, 85, this horse, if everyone else, you know, declines or doesn't improve like we think, I thought an 85 could get it done here. I, I, obviously, the buyer part being a 92, but being a route race, I drop at six points. It makes it an 86. I thought this horse was right there. And I'm not going to leave a horse off at nine to one when that kind of. I've been burned too many times in the past. Let's leave it at that. Uh, this is a spot that I, I ended up dutching, and I ended up taking Beaver Hat and tried and hit on top. 
And uh, I'll add, uh, you know, J- Joe Christofek really liked Fever Hat, and I've I know it's not sexy, uh, you know, but you know, you mentioned Benny, mm-hmm. I'll mention Joe. Uh, it's not sexy to say, well, you know, Joe talked me onto it or Scott or whoever. Uh, but, you know, if there's handicappers you trust and, you know, you already know going in, you don't love the favorites and they're talking highly about a six or eight to one horse. That's opportunity mm-hmm. uh, in, in my mind. Uh, Emily Gullickson's another another one I'll bet blind. Now, it needs to complement my own opinion. Uh, I'm certainly not going to get talked off tried and hit because joe likes beaver hat but you know we're both against the favorite he's making good points um so that was you know in my mind an opportunity and race four started the the pick five and i looked at some tickets that you know i better use beaver hat at this price uh you know i'm not worried about oceanal antique i'm not worried about great escape and you know if i'm right about on Bhutan, which i wasn't but you know <laughs> if i'm right about this philly is the second choice against an odds on I don't want Beaver Hat to beat me because I didn't want to spend 12 bucks on a horse, you know, Joe liked or Benny or, you know, people we respect. Um, But, you know, then there are other times where, you know, someone like Scott is really into sprawl. Well, my mind's made up on Maxfield. Like, you know, just if you like a two to five, that's kind of the end of the conversation. So you always need to, to be aware of what your main opinion is. And then sometimes you can pepper in others or, you know, it definitely can help cash a big ticket. And that's something I bring up because it's what I do. I mean, I hope people, you know, if they're against a favorite, like I am in a race and maybe they're just too deep in a sequence, but you know, I can give them enough information to use a, a Lammer team or, you know, some other price that I really like, then, you know, I, I feel like that's sort of the function of the job way more than just saying, here's who I like. And that's who you should bet too. It's another consensus pick here on Redboard Rewind. Me and Ed like tried and hit. Let's see if he can get it done in this allowance right now. And they're off. American Tattoo from mid-pack bounces out near the top. Trident Hit is there toward the rail. Bourbon War is not far behind early on. Ocean Atlantique for that outside post. Race is up to join the leaders, too. But it's American Tattoo out there setting the pace. Leads just off the rail. Bourbon War not far behind. Second toward the inside. Ocean Atlantique comes on three wide from third. Trident Hit settles into fourth. First for life is hard held in between horses. Fifth fighting the rider every step of the way so far. Moliere spun out four wide on this first turn run. Then it's Beaver Hat. And at the back is Great Escape. It's a tight pack and the pace is slow to develop. 24-1 and one was an opening quarter mile. They're on the backstretch now, and it's American Tattoo showing the way. The leader by half a length to Ocean Atlantique, who's prompting from second mile pressure only so far. Bourbon War tucked away third while in behind, cruising along just two lengths off the lead. Trident Hit is running uncomfortably while fourth. Moliere continues in the clear fifth. Beaver Hat giving a little bit more rain toward the inside, moving up from sixth. Thirst for Life is back into seventh, and Great Escape is the trailer. On to the far turn, the half and 48 and two-fifth seconds. American Tattoo continues to show the way. There's three furlongs to go now. Ocean Atlantique cranks up the pressure and comes on looking for the lead and grabs it midway round the far turn run. But Trident Hint looms and so too does Bourbon War. Beaver Hats made steady progress within three lengths of the lead. As the field hits the top of the stretch, Ocean Atlantique, a resurgent American Tattoo. Trident Hint is there and Beaver Hat is coming down the center of the track. Bourbon War is back into fifth with one for 
furlong to go. Trident Head strikes the front. American Tattoo running a good race toward the rail. Beaver Hat, Bourbon War, Ocean Atlantique. Trident Head strikes the lead with a 16th to go. American Tattoo and Beaver Hat and Bourbon War chasing. Trident hit the winner. And the number two Trident Hit does get it done. Another solid win price of 1220. 87 was the buyer. So I feel like I was right on the spot with Beaver Hat, who ended up running an 84. Uh, Ocean L Antique declined what pretty much like we thought now going to the dirt. Bourbon War ran the 85. Everyone kind of ran the same figure. American Tattoo did jump up, though, running a second out of juicy 30 to 1. <laughs> uh, and that, uh, the American Tattoo performance, um, definitely, and, and I am as far from a, a bias hawk as you will ever find. Um, but I just think he got into the right part of the track, both in terms of forwardly placed and where on the track he was and, and was able to hang around. Uh, this is definitely, uh, a horse I'm interested in seeing what, what Norm can do. Uh, you know, that was second off the claim going a mile and eighth on the main track. Uh, he definitely has some options because this horse is has gone long on the turf, et cetera. But, uh, you know, off that performance showing that kind of speed, uh, if he can maybe find the right starter, you know, which they sometimes run for 50 going long, like a mile and a quarter type mm-hmm. race, uh, you know, might, might be able to have some fun with this one. I, I, I had this conversation earlier in the week, and it was kind of interesting because you don't hear a lot of people talk about it. For you, how many races until a claim just seems – quote-unquote bad i mean usually everyone obviously want to win first off the claim or second but i mean if this horse goes six or seven times in the bar and they still they're only you know hitting third or second by you know four or five lengths i mean is at that point are we just considering the claim just kind of like just not good enough at that point uh yeah you know i, I think it's uh circuit dependent too mm-hmm. i mean they ran here for a hundred four thousand so they got you know 20 and change yeah for the second place effort which you know granted claiming for 50 isn't necessarily you know what you're you're going for you need a few of those to to pay the bills plus expenses but um yeah i I would say after the the third time in a form cycle if you know this horse is not up to the the task of you know the level you claimed him from you're you're probably kind of feeling like you're in some trouble for me as well just looking at beaver hat and having that same type of horse 85 86 85 and now an 84 i guess at nine to one you're trying to kind of sneak this horse in as almost an all use labor playing trifectas because you just kind of know what you're going to get from this horse you're going to get that 83 to 87 buyer and it's either going to be good enough or he's going to hit some type of the board and he would have if not for american tattoo improving for norm cassie and i, I feel like too cutting a horse back from a mile and a half on the turf going a mile and eighth on the dirt I can't really remember how many times I've seen that coming off of a claim, et cetera. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think part of uh, getting a claim out of a any mile and a half race, which are usually turf, is you're thinking, well, we have, you know, a lot of options shorter for sure on either surface. I, I think if you're looking at a horse that, you know, connections feel like can get 12 furlongs, um, you know, in the right spot, you got to feel good about nine. So. Um, you know, Norm had a good meet and, uh, I'm, I'm eager to see where he places some of these horses. Cause I know he, he's sending a string to both Saratoga and Ellis should be very exciting. Let's move on to race number 10, the final race of this podcast, the grade two wise, Dan one one sixteen miles on the turf. I know you had a very 
solid selection in here, Ed. Yeah, I had a, I had a really strong opinion, and uh, I'm not a visual handicapper for the most part. Um, I, I would say it mostly lies on the extremes. Uh, I know when something looks really good. I know when something looks really bad, or at least I think I do. Um, not a big replay guy. I don't you know split hairs between you know what a four wide trip meant versus going inside or was it really trouble or was he decelerating things like that um you know there certainly are very good race watchers like emily gullickson and scott shapiro and others who excel at that um i don't so you know it's just not something in my toolkit but i i think anyone who watches enough races can kind of know when when they're watching a, a horse at the the top of its game and set piece uh was that for me uh in the two races at Churchill and um, you know, maybe he just loves the Matt Wynn turf course. He's four, two, three for four there going into the wise Dan, but uh, you know, he just came into his own over the winter uh, was a turf way shipped to fairground running good numbers, you know, never, never a clunker uh, per se. Most he was beaten was two in that fairgrounds race uh, in February. Uh, but, just watching in person at Churchill Derby week. And then, uh, on May 29th, he just looked in my mind way better than I remembered when he ran at Churchill during the pandemic. Uh, I followed Turfway this winter. And even though he had a couple wins there, um, just totally different animal it, it, this spring at Churchill. And I just thought, man, if he runs back to either of those two races, you know, the opening verse of the divine park, um, he, he, he can't lose like not, none of the other horses are capable of what I saw there. Um, so the question is, does he run back to it? And I just kind of thought that was 50, 50. Um, so I thought he was valued even money. Uh, I got suckered into my, 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 my favorite, uh, horse that I like to call the villain. Some like it hot Brown. When I bet this horse, this horse does not win. <laughs> When I don't, when I play against him, I always get beaten pick fours and pick fives. So obviously, as soon as I played him, I'm like, this horse will somehow end up losing. I just like the fact that they had the two grade twos. And when I like to jump into grade stick races, I want to see horses that have competed at the level and done well. This one had two grade twos. A horse like Ride a Comet was coming out of three really, really difficult grade ones and had won everything else prior to that, including two grade twos, one on the synth and one on the turf. I just always sometimes wonder when they kind of get their, you know, faces pounded in, obviously did have a good second in the makers, Mark, Mark mile at Keeneland, just that now they're dropping in class and obviously not facing any of the horses like they saw in those races. Are they kind of just gun shy and just defeated by that point? Is, is three just too many? Hmm. And it's kind of hard. Cause you ran so well that in that second grade one, I mean, how do you, how do you not run right back in one? I just wonder if he was just a little bit, not over the top, but just not ready for this type of competition again. And almost maybe needs a little bit of time off just to kind of get him back on the farm and ready to realize to come back and compete. I think uh, one of the, in addition to sort of the class question um, that you brought up uh, first on some like at hot Brown, the other thing in his corner, uh, you know, that a lot of people kind of, mentioned and and was definitely my concern with going against him with set piece was the the pace angle mm-hmm. i mean it definitely looked like some like it hot 
on the front end. Uh, and then to your question about write a comment, I, I do agree with you. And, and Mark, I think, Kit Markassi, the trainer, um, is sort of a conditioner that, that fits this, I, I think, is, you know, he, he trains them. He's willing to run a bunch. Um, but it does seem like when they're going in the, the wrong direction um, that they either need a variable change, like you'll Mark will use the surface change or cut mm-hmm. back, et cetera. We saw him do it with Scott Stormy really well last year, I thought, uh, or they need time off. And, you know, just, you know, unfortunately with, with write a comment, just, uh, just seems like even, you know, with the class relief, this, this isn't the same horse that, you know, we've seen do so well in those grade twos and grade threes and in Florida and Canada. For me, some like a hot brown. For Ed, it is set piece. Let's see who can win the grade two right now. And they're off. Good beginning for field pass. Ryder Comet is there. Some like it hot brown toward the hedge. Mutaka Tief is also up close as well. Some like it hot brown out to set the pace. Here comes field pass up to grab second. They are one, two, bias the first time. Mutaka Teef settles in toward the inside, racing in third. Radicomet is away fourth. Spooky Channel is fifth. Super Soul toward the inside, racing sixth. Hierarchy is seventh. Kentucky Ghost is eighth. Set piece is ninth. And the trailer is in love. In love's about ten lengths off the lead. They move around the clubhouse, turn ahead for the backstretch run, and it's some like it hot brown, stepping out to lead by two. Field pass is keyed up in second, getting a little bit closer for that backstretch run, trying to settle that one down is Ricardo Santana Jr. Margin of five from there. Mutakatif settles in toward the inside, racing in third. Rada Comet is fourth. Puki Channel runs along in fifth. Hierarchy advancing in between while sixth. Super Soul toward the inside, seventh. Kentucky Ghost is there, eighth. In love is ninth. Set piece is the trailer and is 12 lengths off the lead for the far turn run. Some like it hot brown onto that far turn. The quarter in 24 seconds flat. The half in 47 and 4. Opens up by two and a half now. Field pass is given more rain in second. Trying to come after that one as they round the far turn. Ryder Common is revving up on the outside of Mutaka Teef. Also there is Spooky Channel. Kentucky Ghost comes wide off the turn. Super Soul is there. Set pieces weaving through the pack. Picking off horses in behind. There's five lengths to make up there. Racing for the eighth pole. Some like it hot brown still in front. In front by two. Set piece dives down toward the hedge. Here comes set piece riding up the inside. Some like it hot brown has to fend off set piece. Set piece. From last to first, weaving to victory. And the number one set piece gets it done. 540 on the wire. 100 buyer. I thought the back-to-back buyer tops meant this horse could bounce. I know it's turf compared to dirt. And uh, some like it hot brown. Just, uh, again, just screws me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, look, I thought it it was an either or. Uh, Definitely not a situation where you want to use both. Unless, you know, if you were against Maxfield, um, you know, and you were looking at the Maltese, then, you know, you say, well, I think I can get through this race with two, mm-hmm. um, and I'm going to beat Maxfield. Like that's, that's fine. Um, but you know, in my case, I, I didn't think Maxfield could lose. Uh, so I, I felt like I kind of needed to plant my flag, um, and, and was happy to do it with set piece. And I, I think just, you know, we, we only talk about the one stakes, but just in general, looking at how the Florida Lee, uh, the Stephen Foster and the wise Dan all played out with, you know, the, the logicals winning is the other thing they had in common is all three were coming off very good races. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think when you're pointing to races like this, even though they were all great twos, um, that in form and going in the right way is, is so important. And, you know, I think we've, we've seen kind of grade ones and twos before, 
where there is a big name. Uh, and, you know, let's just take Ryder Common as an example, um, you know, but a bigger name, but, you know, and, and they're coming off a loss and they took a step back, but they're still the favorite because everyone knows them and they're the grade one winner. Mm-hmm. That to me is a way more vulnerable situation uh, than, you know, set piece stepping up into grade two, you know, after a bunch of listed stakes or, you know, I know I fell into this trap with Latruska given five pounds and whatever else. Yeah. And she was odds on, but you know, she ran awesome last time. She was just going the right way. Like there's no, there was no knock other than, you know, maybe thinking on the time was, was just as good. She was going the right way too. Just ended up being no match for Latruska. But uh, I definitely think, you know, when you're looking and, and willing to take a, a short price like with set piece or, you know, if you're really willing to take a short price like with a max field, um, if, if that's your bag, betting it odds on, uh, you definitely, I mean, to me, you never want to take horses in that spot that, you know, look like they were going backwards last out. Well, I, I think, too, I the, the form cycle thing is, is huge. This horse has, you know, pretty much the last bad race was the fairgrounds, the grade three on a yielding track. Okay, now they go to synthetic, then they go to two. I guess it's kind of hard for me because you would think the yielding maybe had a part to play in it, but maybe it was probably more the distance, I guess, because getting two good good tracks back-to-back and running so super on them, maybe they just don't like the yielding track. And I, I don't know if I made a mistake here. I, all I know is that coming around the far turn, I said, oh, I have a really good shot here. And then this horse just starts <laughs> darting in between horses. I'm like, oh, I'm dead. Like, they're like – it's so funny when you bring newbies to the track and they're like, Oh, my horse has got a chance. I'm like, you have no shot. <laughs> like, I, I know you think you do, but this horse is just going absolutely even as can be. Yeah, no, that's uh that's a good point. I, I thought two pronged. I mean, I thought the race, some like an app Brown was running turning for home was a winning race mm-hmm. and that piece was not getting out. Like, okay, you know, when's he going to get his run? And then, you know, Florent, uh, which after the race, he just kind of said, you know, the the horse gets possessed when, when he straightens and, you know, nothing's going to stop him. Um, you know, it's more that the horse did it there probably. So, I mean, he never got stopped. Uh, if he had gotten stopped at all, he doesn't win. Um, so, but, uh, yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. Like, you know, we've, we've all been on the front end on the far turn and, you know, we just, we just know it's over, even though, you, you even think, though it, you know, to an untrained eye, you would think, Oh, you know, you're on the lead. Come on, come on. And you just, you know, Oh, I, I, I love it. The fact when you're on the Saratoga rail and someone goes, Oh, my horse broke dead last. And I'm like, well, there's six speeds and the racing is the only closer. So you'll be in for some fireworks by the far turn. <laughs> uh, the, yep. the the, the last horse too. I mean, now what do you do with Ride of Comet? I mean, that's a fine race, four to one. Just loses by a couple of lengths. I mean, I I just wonder if now we just need the right grade two field. I mean, something like a Hot Brown just to me always feels like if it's a turf race like this, this horse will be there. Set piece. I mean, maybe the sky's the limit for this horse now. I mean, now do you even try a grade one? I don't know if he's good enough for. He might be good enough for a piece, but I don't know if he's good enough to become a, a grade one winner when you have horses like. You know Colonel Liam and domestic spending and smooth like straight looking down the uh, look looking in your uh, your eyes on the uh, on the turf course. Yeah, I mean, I would say being a, a Judmont homebred and a gelding, uh, 
you know, I, I guess the grade one is good for the dam and the female family. So they'll, they'll, they'll try to find one, but they definitely, you know, have the benefit of, you know, this, this, they can make a lot of money with this horse. I mean, Kentucky downs, they're, they're running for huge money, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Southern California, uh, you know, who knows? And, and I don't, I don't know how far this horse wants to go. I mean, they were running them middle distances in Europe, but you know, over here being by Dan silly out of a King Mambo mare, I mean, you would think he could run two miles here in the yeah. state. So, uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what they decide. Uh, you know, I'd love to know what Judmont's long-term term goal is as a gelding. Um, just, you know, they, they're in the business of, of breeding too. And, and obviously this one won't be that, but you know, maybe it'll be, uh, the next lava man, but for the Cox barn. That is all the time we have for today. I want to thank my special guest, Ed DeRosa, for coming on chatting some races with me. Ed, where can people find you on social media? EJXD2. That's all we need to know here. Thank you so much for coming on again. That's it. <laughs> my pleasure. Thank again all the wonderful listeners for this show and my special guest, Ed DeRosa. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Pierre Thomas Fornatel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin, and our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time.